This is PhotoBizX, episode number 498. And although the title of today's episode is pretty specific, it's how to thrive as an expat photographer in a foreign country, I know there are going to be a ton of takeaways from what this guest shares. She is super talented and she's built a fantastic business between the countries of Saudi Arabia and the United States. I'm talking about returning guest Alison Redman, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, photographer, interviewer, and host of the Photo Biz X podcast where I interview guests from around the world to help you grow your photography business even faster than going it alone. And I am super excited to have a returning guest to the podcast. I'm always excited to have a returning guest because usually they've shared something incredible, something amazing in the first interview. Maybe they are doing exceptional work. Maybe they had a tactic or a strategy that resonated with you the first time I interviewed them, or maybe they've changed tact and they've introduced something extra that I wanted to share with you in a follow-up interview. Well, today's guest is all that, and I know you are going to love what she shares and have plenty of takeaways, whether or not you have any desire to photograph overseas. And if nothing else, I know that you're going to find the life that she's living super interesting. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. Before we do get into the interview with Alison, if you didn't catch last week's episode with Eric Ronald, he's an Aussie-based wedding photographer. You need to get back and have a listen to that one because Eric has some pretty strong views on album sales and upselling extra album spreads after a wedding. He's totally against it, which was a surprise to me and totally opposite to the way I view wedding sales and album sales and upselling after a wedding. To me, that was a huge part of the success of my business and my business thrived as a result. Well, Eric has a total different view and he's very successful. He's an incredible photographer. You need to check out his work. It really is amazing. And I know you're going to get a ton from what he had to share if you haven't heard that one yet. So get back and have a listen to Eric from last week's episode if you want to improve or grow your wedding photography business and make more wedding album sales. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Just quickly before we get into this interview, next week's episode will be coming out a day later than usual. I'll be down in Adelaide for the week cycling and watching the tour down under. It's when the pro cyclists come to Australia for our biggest event here for pro cycling. I'm heading down there with about 20 friends. We're going to be riding every day and my flight home is the day the podcast is normally released Monday. So it'll be a day later than usual next week, but I can assure you it'll be worth waiting for next week. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Alison. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. The good news, you can get access to the full interview today with Alison for as little as $1 
with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. And with that 30-day trial, you can get access to the full interview today with Alison, access the full back catalogue, get an invite to the members' Facebook group, see what that's all about, and finally get a chance to hear what you're missing out on every single week, which I can tell you are the best parts of every single interview that I do. So more details over at photobizx.com forward slash try if you want to check that out. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest first appeared on the podcast for episode 264, where she shared how to use photography classes to book portrait clients. That's when listeners were introduced to not only her incredible talent as a photographer and filmmaker, we also got a taste of her entrepreneurial flair and a drive to see her business survive in the unique market of Saudi Arabia and working predominantly with US expats. Her website was recently voted by Squarespace as the best custom website. And that was in 2021. And it truly is a work of art. You need to do yourself a favor and take a look, but be prepared to feel deflated about your own site before you head there. And I love her most recent post in the Photo Biz X members group where she asked the question, I live in Saudi Arabia and the sand storms and wind, which whips up the sand during my sessions, destroys the zippers on my backpacks. Can anyone recommend something less prone to the elements? I mean, can you just imagine photographing families in the sand dunes of Saudi Arabia? It sounds amazing. I'm talking about the wonderful Alison Redman, and I'm wrapped to have her back with me now. Alison, welcome again. Hi, Andrew. It's so glad to be back. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I mean, do you still pinch yourself that you head out to you know, the deserts of Saudi Arabia to do a family session? It's crazy. It blows my mind. And, you know, I kind of use the same set of dunes each time I go out, but it looks different every time I'm out there because they change. And it's just, it's wild. You feel like you're on Mars or something. It never gets old. I love it. <laughs> That's so good. That's so. And I was going to ask you, like, does it change and do you always go back to the same spot? But it actually looks different. So when I go to your website and I see sand dune in your galleries, they're all the same spot. Yeah, it's the same little set of dunes. Um, I like it because not all of my families have like off-road vehicles and I don't either. We drive a minivan. Like it's not supposed to go on the sand dunes, <laughs> but I found a set of dunes that the road pulls right up to. And so I use the same set, but it changes like from day to day, if I have a session on a Thursday and a Friday, it can look different the next day. It's so cool. Wow. And are you sort of doing what most portrait photographers do and sort of shooting that last hour of light in the day? Or is it more flexible over there in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, it is definitely the end of the day. I feel like our sun here is more intense than it is elsewhere. <laughs> I don't know if that's just my perception of it, but golden hour is like a solid 22 minutes and then it's done. Like it's... <laughs> It's fast, it's intense, and before it hits that nice light, it's really intense. And so I'm not sure I have too many of these on my website, but that first bit of shooting is a lot of playing with shadows and high contrast, but I try to do it in a more artsy way. Um, it's not going to necessarily make the client's Christmas card, <laughs> but it's fun to play with those intense dramatics, that intense dramatic sunlight. And then as the session develops, then we get into the nicer light and then we end off. But there's a lot of environmental elements that I'm dealing with while shooting in that with the sand and the wind and <laughs> it's never a dull moment. <laughs> That's so good. And can you photograph all year round in those conditions or, you know, is the summer just too hot? Yeah. My shooting year in Saudi is from, I would say mid-September through May. And even that is pushing it. 
technically it would be October through May. The clients who are booking me in September and August are maternity clients who can't control when they when they need a session because they can't control when they're expecting a baby. But even then, I mean, you're talking, it's like 50 Celsius out there, which is, you know, 115, 100. It's ridiculous. So it's not safe to shoot during those months. I will if I have to for maternity clients, but my family sessions start later once it's around, you know, around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. What's that? 40 or so Celsius. Like, and then it just gets better. Still hot, still hot. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's really nice. Like it's, 90s Fahrenheit. It'll get cooler and cooler and cooler throughout the next couple of months. Got it. And look, regarding that post that you put into the group, I mean, your photography gear must cop an absolute hiding. Are you using water housing to photograph in the sand dunes? No, I am taking my camera out there. I'm taking my lenses out there. And like, honestly, I think they should be getting professionally cleaned after every session, but I'm shooting four times a week. And so it's not feasible. I'm cleaning the gear, but it is getting blasted by sand probably two of those four sessions a week. And so when I'm taking it home, like not only is my sweat on it, but like it's got grit. You know, it's not a pretty thing. I think most photographers would like freak out if they saw what <laughs> what was happening. <laughs> wow. But and it's not always windy. Like some days are exceptionally windy and some days are completely wind free. But sand, you know, sand just gets everywhere. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a challenge. I cancel sessions more for wind than I do for anything else. Like I have a mile per hour rate that I won't let it go over. um, And the session will have to get rescheduled because it's just too windy or whatever. So you can't just go behind the next dune and find cover. It just whips around, does it? It's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. When I get home, my bathroom floor (laughs) covered. It's covered in like sand from every crevice of clothing and it's it's bad. But I do try to take care of my gear. I need to get it cleaned more than I should, but I tried to sell some of it this summer when I was back in the States and they were like, What have you done to this? Like <laughs> <laughs> We can't sell that. I was going to say a little note to myself here. If I see you advertising equipment for sale, not to buy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't buy mine. <laughs> Um, For the photographer, the listener that hasn't heard your earlier interview, give us a snapshot of your business because you weren't born in Saudi Arabia. You're an expat yourself. Just tell us a little bit about how you got to Saudi and touch on who your regular clients are. Yeah, thank you. About 11 years ago, we moved, my husband and I moved to Saudi Arabia and he is a teacher at a big oil company here and we live here and we love it and it's amazing. And I used to be a teacher in my previous life. And I decided to open my own business once we kind of moved here and started having kids. And when I talked to you last, I would say I was kind of at the beginning of my business as far as growing it. And like I said, in my last interview, that was starting those in-home teaching workshops was a really, really amazing thing to kind of kickstart where I was in my business at that point. And I was predominantly shooting expatriates, which are people who are not from Saudi, right? They're from all over the world that come here to work. And fast forward five years, uh, (laughs) business is great. My business makeup has changed quite a bit though. Now I would say it's 50% Saudi clients, 50% expats, which is amazing. And I am so happy about that. I've worked really hard to get to that, to get that makeup to change when it used to be full on expats. Now I've got local people hiring me, which is fantastic. And my business then uh, five years ago was predominantly family films. And now I have a season where I shoot family films and then I have a season where I shoot photography only. 
And that seems to really work for me business-wise. And a lot of that has to do with the weather. Like I can't shoot outdoors certain months in Saudi. So I flipped to family films during that time. And then the rest, a bigger portion of the year is done photography-wise. But uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We have kids and we just love our life here. And it's fantastic. Wow. I want to ask you a little bit more about the regime, but we might save that till later and you can tell me whether we can leave that sort of stuff in or not because I hear all different things, particularly because I'm into golf these days and the Saudis have started the live golf tour. So we'll we'll save that till the end. Okay. (laughs) But um, when I interviewed you last time and since I've been following you, I felt like you were becoming famous and all very well known and and super respected for your videos, your family films. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask, do you feel... Well, one of my questions was going to be, do you feel like a photographer or a cinematographer or a videographer? But you sound like you're doing both equally. Yes. It's been an interesting shift in my business from a couple of years ago, but it was the decision that I made intentionally in the business. The thing with family films, and yes, you know, as I think I've mentioned before, I got my start with Filming Life Academy. I am a teacher there currently working with Courtney Holmes, and it's just amazing. That's an amazing resource for photographers who are interested in learning videography and using that in their sessions. And it's amazing. And that's kind of where my start was. And that was incredible. But I had to make a decision uh, a couple years in, do I want to fully devote everything to family films? Or do I want to pursue a little bit more of the photography side of things? Not that I wasn't doing photography before I was, but I think I was focusing my efforts more on films. And Budget-wise and contributing to the family income-wise, it made more sense to me to divide the time. So I would say a third of my time is spent with films and two-thirds is spent now with photography. And I like that a lot better. Why? Why do you like that better? Films are incredible, but they take a creative energy that is a lot more encompassing headspace-wise and stress level for me. Editing-wise, time-wise, it's a huge commitment to produce, get out a film for a family. And that's why they're so expensive. It's not, I'm, I definitely charge what I need to be charging for it, but creatively, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I know what I can take on per year creatively and money-wise. And I feel like in my business, I've made a decision a little bit less about focusing on me as a creative, and I've made it more of everything I'm doing now is business decision wise. I want to be making money on what I'm doing. I want it to be profitable. I want it to be sustainable. And I want it to be something that is contributing to our family. And that has been a change for me. And the films can be a little draining. So I take on less of those per year. And I'm a lot more exclusive about who I how many I do. And then the photography I find easier. I can take a lot more of that on. And I find that the profit margin is better for that in the volume that I can do of those sessions. Got it. Okay. I mean, that makes sense to me. And I would have expected an answer like that in regards to the work ratio from video to mm. stills. Um, you mentioned pricing there. I'm on your investment page. And I've got to say, like, unless I'm misunderstanding this, I was surprised at how affordable your videography even your photography is i mean am i right and so with the photo films it looks like it's 1800 plus 500 booking fee that's in uh saudi arabia u.s dollars oh that's u.s US oh that's u.s oh okay yes (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Okay, that's good. I, I thought it was in the Saudi currency. Rials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, it's an interesting thing. You'll notice on the film's part of the website, it's in dollars. But if you notice the photo sessions, it's all in rials. That's intentional. I'm trying to market my films to United States clients. And that's where my film's business is. And I want to market my photography sessions to my Saudi Arabian clients. And so that's why that's in reals. And all my marketing efforts go into those two different games. The thing with my website in, that's unique about it and the reason that I hired Squarespace to help me build the website that you see there is I needed to target two different continents. And that was a very hard thing, like to market to the United States films and to market to Saudi Arabian expats slash locals. I mean, that's that's a huge... It's a huge ask and I knew I couldn't do it. And so they helped with that. But the messaging is different throughout the site, but it all works cohesively. But I have two different client bases. I have a United States client base and I have a Saudi Arabian client base. And the films are in the United States and the photography is in Saudi Arabia. And I really, really like the way that works for me. Okay, so just explain to me, so that if the films are for the US, does that mean you go back to the US to shoot those or it's expats in Saudi Arabia you're attracting for the films? For the most part, it's all United States families or Canadian families that are hiring me. In those countries or in Saudi? In the United States and Canada. So I want to do my family films in the United States and Canada. And if someone in Saudi hires me for a film, I will absolutely take it on. But I am not marketing films to Saudi clients um, and to local clients. I'm trying to push photography sessions here. Okay, why? So what's the difference if the money comes from US or Saudi clients? Why does that matter to you? It is too hard creatively for me to do films and photography at the same time. It is very warm in Saudi, which is the summer months. My family goes back to the United States and it's cooler there. And I do my business there and I do films and people fly me to wherever they are and, you know, put me up in a hotel and I shoot their film and then I come back to wherever we're based in the U.S. And that works. It allows me to do a little bit of travel to see people all over and people fly me to them, which is amazing. And so I get to create. But then when I get back to Saudi, it's still really hot. It's August. Nobody goes outside. So I have about a month or two to do all the editing for the films that I did over the summer months in the United States or in Canada. And then by that time, it's about September, October, and I start into photography season in Saudi. Got it. Okay. So the reason you split your business the way you have is a result of where you're based at certain times of the year. Correct. Yeah. The weather's playing a big decision. But also, I don't think I could, I think there are filmmakers out there who can do a full year of just filmmaking. I've learned that I can't creatively. It's just too much. It drains my headspace. And I really like that with photography sessions, I get to get out. I get to meet a lot of people. I get to, there's so many aspects of my business that are photography that it just, I like the activity of it. I like the energy of it. So it's a good thing. Nice. I love it. It sounds like you've got the best of both worlds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So last time we talked or we did the interview, you were really big and you shared a lot on the fact that you were teaching expats, mainly women, there were some men you said, but mainly women, how to become better photographers themselves so they could photograph their own families, their own kids. But then you had this really cool way of selling your own services at a special price at the end of that presentation. Honestly, that was inspirational. Are you still doing that today? Uh, No, I'm not. But you're right. It completely skyrocketed my business off the ground. I still, to this day, will recommend that to people if you're trying to get started teaching in-house or somewhere local photography workshops is the way to do it. Um, I feel like one of the ways that I'm now getting hesitant clients in the door is through portraits. But 
not the way you're thinking like studio portraits. Um, (laughs) This came as a result of like COVID and, you know, everything changing during COVID. The school systems here weren't able to do, you know, the standard school portrait that you have in the yearbook. And so I started offering them in a COVID safe manner on my doorstep. And that's become kind of a, a thing here that yearly happens that gets new people in the door. But I wouldn't say that's a driving marketing plan in my business. It's just one of those interesting ways that kind of helps get hesitant people introduced to my business. But yeah, I don't do the workshops anymore. I don't have time. That's <laughs> the honest answer. <laughs> well, you probably don't need to anymore either, do you? I mean, I don't need to. No, I don't need to. It was such a good thing at the beginning of my business. It really was. Like, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's it's a fantastic idea. But I am on the best days feel like I'm drowning. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need I don't need those right now. <laughs> so tell me then, it sounded like even back then your aim, your target was to, or your dream was to get and attract Saudi clients and you've managed to do that now. Was that sort of, you know, one brick at a time or did the floodgates open because you did something? Like how did that build up? It has been a slow, slow process over, what, five years, four years. And it has, I think there's a number of factors that have gone into it. It's been fascinating watching you got to realize, and you said we would speak about changes. This country has gone through so many changes in the last 11 years that we've lived here. But even in the last five years, it is a radically different country than it was five years ago when we talked in a good way. And so I think that plays into small businesses like mine, that the clientele has changed. The nature of social media has changed. Young Saudis are a force to be reckoned with here. And so on a practical level, it's been fascinating to see I don't know how to say this without like sounding weird or like stuck up or anything, but family photography, the way I do it is, has not been done in Saudi. I know it's so normal in the United States, Canada, anywhere, but in Saudi Arabia, a standard photo shoot, a person's first photo shoot will probably be either their wedding day. And that is a completely different situation than what we're used to in Western countries. And I shoot weddings here for other companies. So I'm very familiar with what that looks like. It's nothing like Western weddings and this high-end glitzy experience. But that might be their first experience with photography. Or if they've had a baby, the wrapped newborn posing, that might be their first experience with photography. But Saudi clients are not used to doing a standard lifestyle family photo shoot as we would know it as Westerners. And so when people that are local see my website or my Instagram page, they're like, I have never seen anything like this. This is either amazing or wow, I couldn't do that. (laughs) Like it's one or the other response. And so I feel like I've kind of introduced something here that is rapidly growing. That is not to say I'm the only person doing it. I'm not. There are other photographers here. There's not nearly as many as there are in other countries, but there are other non-Saudi photographers doing similar things to me, like sand dune shoots, in-home sessions, you know, newborn photography, that kind of thing. But the organic family loving on each other, a photographer there to capture it in a pretty outdoor environment or in a house or maternity session that has not been done. It's just not something they've seen before. And so to bring that here, it's been really cool to see that start to be introduced, people showing each other that work. And it just, it's growing organically thanks to Instagram, thanks to a newsletter, thanks to people talking about it thanks to a website. Those are all key things that play into it, but it's a new thing here. And so 
it's been really cool to kind of be a part of changing what the photography scene looks like in this country, I guess. I love it. So look, I'm on your Instagram feed at the moment. So I'm looking at a family, it's mum, dad, three kids, uh, you know, the perfect family, they're running down a sand dune towards you. you know, you're looking sort of up at the sky, there's sand going everywhere, they're laughing, they're having a great time. So I can understand how that would be like, wow, if they've never seen something like that before, even though it might be normal for us, for the listener. Mm. So that photo, is that something that they would do anyway? Like would a family go out to the sand dunes and have a picnic and run around and play together? Or is the whole thing unique? Um, are you asking about Saudis or expats? Saudis, because I'm looking at a Saudi, I think it's a Saudi family here. Okay. Oh, maybe, maybe they're expats actually, this photo. Yeah. But Saudis, would they do that? Yeah. So this culture, I mean, you got to realize Middle East is a Bedouin based culture, right? And so, I mean, their history is just steeped in camping before, you know, America rolled in and found oil. (laughs) It was very much a Bedouin based culture. And so, yes, on the weekends here, it's actually pretty cool on the weekends when you drive and it's dark and you look in the desert, there's little little specks of light all across the desert. And it's just families out there camping on the desert. Um, It's a big desert hanging out, cooking out, whatever you want to call it. Camping, tenting is a big part of the culture here. For expats, it's a novelty for sure. Like, you know, every expat wants their picture out on the sand dunes because they live here only temporarily. It's not their real home. But for Saudis, it's been a big part of their heritage. And so, yeah, does that help? (laughs) It does, but that makes it even more interesting and more um, maybe bizarre is it too strong a term or word, but it's bizarre that they haven't been photographed in that environment the way you and I would photograph them mm-hmm. because they're spending so much time out there anyway. Right. Right. No, it's a good point. I think the other thing here that is interesting is a, you're not going to see any Saudis on my Instagram feed or on my website. They never sign my model releases ever. I mean, it's a very rare thing if I'm given permission to show a Saudi family. Usually if I am, it's dad and children. You'll never see mother ever, even though they look, you know, like me in their house, <laughs> maybe their hair is not quite as blonde. It's just not a part of the culture to sign the model releases. So that's a bit of a interesting problem for marketing wise. It's a problem for me, but I'm still booking Saudi clients, but they're not seeing themselves in my photos, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. The other part of it. Yeah. Saudis tend to book me for maternity shoots for in-home sessions and occasionally for films. Expats, tend to book me for sand dune shoots or for all the all the sessions but saudis very specifically really like me for maternity sessions and for in-home sessions of whatever kind and i'm hoping to expand the maternity to family sessions on the sand dunes family sessions outside they really really like sessions in their own homes or in their gardens at their houses they really like maternity sessions out on the dunes but i'm working on doing more Saudi families in other environments. Right. Okay, then let me give you back my original question. How did you start to book the Saudis, you know, in light of the fact that you couldn't show them on your website? How did word get out that, hey, you got to book this Alison Redmond? She's fantastic. Right. I mean, I'm sure I know that word of mouth is a good thing in this culture. I notice, I use PickTime, and I notice that when I share a private gallery with a Saudi family that is their gallery, I notice how many times it's being shared and it's not people that I know. You know, PickTime will tell you. Okay, so even though you can't show a Saudi family on your socials or your website, Mm -hmm. they will share it with other Saudi families. 
Correct. So I'm assuming they're sharing with their sisters and brothers-in-laws and cousins, and they're sharing the slideshow. They're sharing the gallery online. I see those shares. There's also a word of mouth factor. Obviously, when someone buys a print or an album, it's in their house and they're telling their who and whoever and whoever about it. But I don't think it's just word of mouth. I think the website keywording and blogging is huge. There isn't a sentence on my website that doesn't have the word Kobar or Riyadh or Damam. These are all cities here. Um, weirdly placed in a sentence. Like <laughs> I'm being very intentional about that terrible English language usage in, <laughs> on the website of my blogging. And then Saudis are huge on Instagram. It's a huge platform here. I would say it's even more popular here than it is in the United States. So I do what I can to be as active as I can on Instagram. And I have help with that now, thank goodness, because it's a lot to keep up with. But I think it's a combination of that and a website, word of mouth and website and Instagram. Got it, got it. I can see on your Instagram, if I go back to that other photo I was talking about earlier with the family, obviously they're an expat. <laughs> now I know that now. Yeah. But you've actually got, uh, you've got your captions and then you've also got the captions, I'm guessing they're the same captions written in Arabic. So, okay, so is that just Google Translate or you've got someone doing that for you? Yeah, I asked someone to do it for me. <laughs> I, I am not that fluent at all by any stretch, but I've made friends now that I have Saudi clients and they're incredibly gracious and helpful and have helped me with my attempt at <laughs> trying to be inclusive in my wording, not just English. It's an interesting thing here. You know, we talk so much as photographers about using workflows and streamlining our businesses. And when you have an English workflow and you've got Arabic speakers who speak English, but not as fluently as maybe I do, it presents problems with making your business workflow as streamlined as possible. I always hear that. Oh, you, and I do, I have workflows in place, but the initial contact with my clients has to be personal because I would say 50% of the time there is a bit of a misunderstanding or clarifications needed because of the language discrepancy between Arabic and English. And it's not that maybe they can't read the English they can, but just extra help is always needed that a workflow with an expat would be no problem at all. But with a Saudi, I have to I have to do a little bit more handholding to get them through into the booking process and into the workflow because of the Arabic. So who does that? Who prevents those misunderstandings and who shares the fact that, you know, these are the prices and this is what you're going to get. This is not what you're going to get. This isn't included. Do you have someone that speaks Arabic and English, a translator working with you? That's a great question. No, I don't. I haven't felt the need for that yet. I have had one or two sessions where a translator has been present, but that's not the norm. Generally, if they're booking, I can tell immediately based on the website form they filled out. You can tell with that little, you know, anything else you need me to know section, you can tell the English level initially. But I'm the first point of contact. I do have a virtual assistant for my business. That is something that I have not given to her because she doesn't live here in Saudi. She lives in Montana. Right. <laughs> and so... <laughs> She's amazing. And she runs other aspects of my business. But because I live here, because I am local, I do that first point of contact when a contact form comes through the website, when it comes through Instagram, when it comes through, however, I'm the first point of contact. And then they get filtered into a workflow, which streamlines and makes everything easy. But yeah, I wish the whole process could be streamlined, but I just, I can't. If I'm not knowing who's going to be contacting me first, whether they're a fluent English speaker or not. Got it. Um, are you, <laughs> it's a bold question. Are you allowed to be working in Saudi? Ooh, that's a good question. My business is technically based in the United States in Texas, because that's where our technical home address is as expats. 
So my business is there. I have a very good CPA who works with expatriates <laughs> who makes sure that everything is kosher for the U.S. government. And uh, that's- I, I meant more the Saudi side. Like, are you? Yeah, that's okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know technically. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I haven't been asked that question on a podcast before. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Let's leave that there. Okay, the other question that I wanted to attach to that was, again, I don't know much about. I don't. Is even the, is the regime? Is that the right term? Uh, the government, the Saudi. Uh, pe- yeah. Mm-hmm. So my impression, and again, I don't want to come across as racist, and I don't know the right terms, and if I'm saying this the right way, but my understanding is the man is the king of the house, like he's the decision maker in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Is that right? Uh husbands play a big role in the family for sure are they the decision makers not necessarily but if push comes to shove i would say that's more common than not but with the younger saudi generation things are rapidly changing the last time we talked i couldn't drive a car here off the compound where i live and now i have a driver's license last time we talked you didn't see a lot of women working now women are working everywhere and they're saudi women they're not expatriate women um the country has changed radically. And so and it is changing. So yeah, when someone's hiring me, it's generally the wife. It's not the husband. But the husband is, I always get compliments from the dads. Like we've never seen anything like your online system, your invoicing. I always get compliments on that, which I think is quite funny. But they're like, we're so impressed. We've never seen anything like that. <laughs> so good. So what about doing like the families? And I presumed it was the men, but maybe it's not doing business with a white woman, you know, an expat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, and you try and upsell them, you know, some album sides or extra photos. Like, does that go down okay? Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. Alison, just before we finish, where is the best place for the listener to see more of your work, your amazing work? Oh, thank you. AllisonRedmanPhotography.com is my website. And then on Instagram, AllisonRedmanPhotography. Both are great. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to add links to those in the show notes and other places people can find you. It was so good to catch up again. Um, have you got one minute left or two minutes? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Tell me and the listener a little bit more about Saudi Arabia because I know like there's been these massive changes. I mean, I've been following along with mm. the Gulf and the Live Golf and the fact that the Saudis have sort of taken over that or started that tour. And the bad side of that that I hear about is that it's sports washing and, uh, mm. you know, they're trying to hide the fact that um, there's some pretty bad things happening over there or have in the past. What do you see and hear, like, you know, being on the ground there? Um, you know, you're exactly right. With all the change, which is good, there are still so many things that can be done better. And it's this huge struggle, I feel like, that has been happening for over many years, but you see it more intensified here. There is obviously corruption. There's obviously issues in it, whether it's sports or whether it's, I don't know, pick your poison. But in my head, as an expat and having lived here for 11 years, I see the changes as being a really good thing. The crown prince has brought in, I mean, say what you will about, um, I know there's a lot of controversial things about him as a leader, but It's incredible to see the amazing changes that he's brought to the country, the new social policies that he's brought in, the fact that, you know, 
women can now play roles that they weren't able to do before. Society is changing so rapidly, so quickly. It's never going to be perfect, but (laughs) it's never perfect. But I've been impressed more than not impressed with how good things are and how much they're trying to get better at whatever it is, whether it be sports, whether it be environment, whether it be social issues, uh, they're trying, which I don't, it was not as evident when we first moved here. So I see it positively. You, you'll talk to people here who are very negative. And I think sometimes the Western media portrays things in a more negative light, but I'm just been impressed at how much has changed in a good way. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. So since, you know, your time there, like compared to when you first got there to now, has your day-to-day life changed? I know you said now you can drive a car, you can go outside your local community. Like, did you not feel safe when you first got there when you went shopping, but now you do? Like, is there little things like that that you've noticed? Yeah. Safety has never been an issue. It's like living in the 1950s. I don't feel as safe in America. I do feel very safe here. To this day, I don't own a house key. I keep my car key in my car. Like, it's just this weird little bubble that we live in. And I don't just mean on the compound that where we live. I mean, it's just it's a very safe country. But as far as little changes, yeah. Like when I when we go to, you know, out to a restaurant, it looks like a normal restaurant. Ten years ago there was a females and family section and there was a males section, single men section. And we always sat in the family section. And now it looks like any restaurant, minus that there's no alcohol. But it just looks like any old restaurant. And that's amazing. People can sit outside. And like I said, I just I'm more like right now I'm wearing kind of a spaghetti strap thing. I wouldn't wear that out in public. I would wear, you know, longer sleeves that are more loose, or I would wear my little open abaya over my clothes and it's fine. I can drive. It's just so fun. It's, it's a lot more free and open. Right. So when you talk about wearing your abaya, you could wear that straight over what you're wearing now, your little spaghetti strap top. And would that Mm -hmm. have to be like, would it have to be all done up carefully, like up to your neck, or it can be just like a dressing gown. It can be open as long as the front part of my outfit isn't too low. Like modesty is important still, but I'm not like every inch of skin is covered. Like my head is out, my hair is out. It's okay if like, you know, just I'm always thinking of modesty. And that applies to my photo sessions too. Like when I go to into a Saudi home, I'm not wearing the abaya in the home. The first thing I do is take it off and wash my hands. And they're very much expecting that. But I would never wear what I'm wearing right now, which is like a little romper. I'm not going to wear that in a Saudi home. I'm going to wear something that's loose fitted that covers kind of near to my elbow. And if it doesn't cover that, at least it's very loose and it's just, you know, flowy and loose. And I mean, it's really comfortable. So right, I'm not right. complaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if the roles were reversed with you and your husband and you were the teacher, you were hired to work in Saudi and he was a photographer. Would he be able to do what you're doing, going to people's homes and, and photographing family sessions or wouldn't it work? No, he wouldn't be allowed to. The only thing he would be allowed to do is weddings. And even then he would have to have a team that included females. So one of the things I do here occasionally is I shoot weddings and I'm a part of a team of 12 videographers and photographers who are shooting one wedding. And so that is a mix of females and males, videographers, photographers, and we're wearing black suits, like a regular suit to shoot. And, but they have to have males because in the bride area, when they're getting ready, sometimes they'll be okay with the male photographer videographers coming in, but a lot of times they aren't. And so, yeah, that part hasn't changed. That part is still very private. Um, Females are okay 
yeah, he wouldn't be allowed to do it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, like, how you're in the position that you're in? I mean, the fact that you're female, you're an expat, you've got this vision and the way you see and take photos, it's just like the perfect the perfect combination for you in Saudi Arabia at the moment. Like, it's amazing. Like, you're, you're the one. Like, <laughs> how lucky. It's amazing. It's incredible. And the coolest part of it is, like, business aside or money aside, is that I get to meet so many unique people. And I love that about the job. I love that each week, let's say I have four clients a week, three clients a week, I'm going to meet three different people from three different countries or four different countries. And one of them will be local and the others will be from everywhere else. And it's just incredible. Like, I love that aspect of it. I'm definitely an introvert, but that little bit of extrovert in me is it ticks that box (laughs) in that aspect. The other thing that is interesting that people don't realize when you live here, you like my husband doesn't work with Saudis. He doesn't have Saudi kids in his schools. He's a school teacher. Sorry. He doesn't have Saudi children in the schools because they go to their own schools. And most people here live on compounds and the compounds tend to be with whatever your job is. So this oil company will house its people here. This oil company will house its people here. So you're around other expatriates. So most of my friend group here doesn't know any Saudis at all. And they live in Saudi Arabia. It's a very weird thing about living here. You know, people from literally every other culture, but the one you're living in. And so this job has allowed me to weekly meet Saudis. And it's incredible because nobody else I know gets to do that unless their husband happens to work in a job that, you know, also has locals in the job, which can happen. But I just, I'm so grateful because it's such a cool aspect of the job getting to meet all these interesting people and it might sound silly but not only meet the Saudis you actually get to go into their homes that's incredible that's special yes it is so special because I think there's a lot of judgment that happens in our western mindset I know I I can get judgy about this kind of thing too you see a woman that's fully clothed you see a man in maybe the thove and the gutra which is the white and the red headdress and maybe you have a preconceived notion about it, what that means when you see that. But then you see this dad in the home holding his newborn and just like completely over the moon about the fact that he just had a baby. And, you know, it's like we're all human <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but sometimes the outer visual is a little intimidating. And, yeah, I get to see kind of behind the curtain. And it's amazing. The weddings, the weddings are crazy. <laughs> like I've gotten to video and photo like royalty weddings here, like princesses. And it's wild. Like I got to go to the the crown prince's palace in wow. Riyadh and like be one of the videographers for the one of the many princesses weddings. And it's just, it's so cool. <laughs> this job is so cool. <laughs> and just lastly, honestly, lastly, to dispel any myths, you've said compound a couple of times. Mm. You're not living in a tent, are you? Like you live in a real home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, compound, think of it like a military base, but not military. Like it's a community with houses, schools, grocery stores, sports fields, whatever. Everything you need, you technically don't have to live. I don't know why Saudi is set up like that, but every like living areas are in compounds. And it might be a safety thing. I don't know, but um, you tend to whatever company your people work for tends to put you in a set of houses that are in a community maybe a community is a better word for it but we call them compounds because it's everything you need is within the walls of the compound but you can get onto other compounds that's how i do work is i meet other people at their homes and 
it's just a, a little place where you live. Right. And is it a Western-styled house that you live in? Uh, it's a lot of cement. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the walls are cement walls, but they maybe there's drywall on top of it. I don't know. I think they look like Southern California kind of with a little bit more cement involved. Um, <laughs> they're very nice. The thing is, the heat plays into the house design here. And so I always see these photographers with this pretty light coming in the windows and like, uh, it's not an option here. Like they are built to protect from the sun. Right. Like there's, the windows are pushed way far back so that there's no like direct sunlight coming in your house. And yeah, they're great houses. We live actually live on the beach here. It's beautiful, but it's, um, yeah, they're they're built for the elements. <laughs> Alison, I won't keep you any longer. You have been amazing. I'm so glad we had the chance to catch up again and get to hear a little bit more of your story. I meant every word that I said. You are super talented. You're an amazing photographer and cinematographer. What you create is incredible for the families that you do, and I love talking with you. So thank you so much. Thank you for asking me. This was such a treat. <laughs> I appreciate it. Your podcast has been like business school for me. So thank you for all the all the incredible episodes because it's how I've learned. <laughs> so good. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Allison as much as I did. Allison, if you're listening again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. I loved hearing about your business, your life, your lifestyle. What an incredible journey you and your family are on. And again, massive thanks for coming on and sharing everything you did. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Alison had to share. I hope some of the questions I asked about Saudi Arabia weren't too obvious for you and you had some of your questions answered, not only about the country, but also about running a business there or running a photography business as an expat in any country for that matter. Whatever your takeaways, I'd love to hear about them. Please let me know in the comments area of the show notes if you're listening to the free version of the podcast. The show notes this week are at photobizx.com forward slash 498. And in those show notes, you're going to see examples of Alison's incredible work, those sand dune family photos that we were talking about and referencing. You'll also see links to anything and everything that she mentioned. It's all there in that one spot. And of course, if you are a premium member, you may know that Alison is already part of the premium members Facebook group. So you'll have easy access to her there. If you have a follow-up question, if you just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing what you did, you can do that there in the members Facebook group. I know Alison would love to hear from you there. I've got one big shout out for today's episode, and this could be one of the best Apple podcast reviews I've ever had for the podcast. This one comes from Destination Wedding and Elopement Storyteller, who's based in South Florida and available literally anywhere, Joshua Kane. He is an Aussie-based, well, he's an Aussie photographer based in the US, and this is what he said in his Apple podcast review. I honestly believe that no one has done more or is doing more for aspiring and current photographers than Andrew. This podcast is a vital source of highly valuable and actionable information for anyone looking to either launch a career in photography or reach new levels of success in their existing business. The conversational style of interviews is such an easy listen. Plus, Andrew has a remarkable skill for asking precisely the right questions of his guests in order to tease out the real methods, stories, and takeaways that offer the most impact for the listener. Get a premium subscription, join the Facebook group, throw this podcast on while you edit, and you'll never feel alone in the industry again. 
You'll be energized, motivated, and full of optimism just by hearing the possibilities and paths that others have walked before you. And make sure you have a notepad handy so you can take action when the lightning bolts hit and they hit often. That's from Josh. Josh, mate, massive thanks. What an incredible review. Uh, I am, I'm flabbergasted. I was floored when I read this, when it popped up in my notifications. Mate, I, I, you really have made my week. I'm going to head off to Adelaide happy with the thought of your amazing review. So again, mate, thank you so much. And for you, the listener, well, and for Josh, Mate, your work is incredible. I went over and had a look at your website. Incredible work. No wonder your clients love you and what you're creating for them. I, I fell in love with the video on your about page. I want to know what was being said between the bride and groom to get the reaction that she did. Was that something that he said? Was it something that you said? Was she crying or was that laughing? I, I'm still not sure, but I was captivated looking at that one-minute clip. Uh, yeah, mate, in, super talented you are incredible at what you do so uh, to, to know that people that photographers with your skill and your level of expertise are listening and enjoying and getting a lot from the interviews that i'm recording mate absolutely and truly warms my heart so again mate thank you and congratulations on your success you're amazing and uh yeah thank you thanks Alrighty, that is going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Don't forget, next week's episode will be a day later than usual. Hopefully, I'm going to have a chance to catch up with some photographers in Adelaide while I'm down there next week. So look out if you are a premium member. I'll be posting inside the members group so we can see if we can make something happen down there. And wherever you are in the world, stay safe, healthy and well, and I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, to photobizx.com Join the conversation Leave a comment And share your thoughts On the interview with Andrew And today's special guest 